0: We are, uh, we are continuing our uh, trek through John's gospel. We're in John chapter 10. should be page 896 in the Red Pew Bible if you are making use of that. Last week we heard Jesus say that he was the good shepherd. He continues uh, in a similar vein this week. John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Even though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at the first, and there he remained. And many came to him, And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Would you pray with me? Lord, Father, as we come again to uh, your word and we hear many precious promises, I pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing and now the preaching. Of your holy and infallible word. We pray, Lord, that it would have its effect, that it would that it would tunnel down deep into our hearts and bring about a glorious change, Lord. That uh, that we, if maybe even for the first time, would hear your voice, and believe and follow. We pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. I had a friend. Uh, we had a friend who rented. Uh, rented a house, and he noticed that during hard rains, the roof would leak. It would leak in certain places, and so, like any good renter, you call the landlord, you call the homeowner, and you and you get him to come and fix, uh, come and fix the roof. And so, my friend called his landlord, and he said, "Hey, the roof is leaking. Would you like me to call a, a roofer to come and take a look at it?" And the guy said, "No, no, no. I'll take care of it." And so he had uh, several roofers come out and give him estimates for the repairs and what the job would look like. Uh, and those repairs were always uh, a little bit too expensive. It was going to require replacing the entire roof. Uh, and so the landlord came back to my friend and he said, "You know what? Don't worry. I've, I've got a guy." Always be weary, weary, Be wary of the guy, right? I've got a guy. He'll come and he'll come and fix it. And the guy showed up in a car, not a truck, and it, and it wasn't a car that was all, all that in good shape, and the guy didn't have his own ladder. Uh, the guy passed by the extension ladder that was hanging in the garage and grabbed my friend's six-foot step ladder, which was not tall enough to get onto the roof. And so this man proceeded to then place that six-foot stepladder on the roof of his car. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, the roof did not get repaired. And thankfully, that guy on the ladder, on the car, on the pavement, didn't die. <laughs> um, but it, it reinforced the idea that when it comes to getting a job done and when it comes to keeping promises... Credentials matter. Identity matters. If you're, not, if you're not a roofer, don't fix a roof. And that's what Jesus, and that's, that's what we see at play here. Jesus, When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he is making a claim. He is saying something about who he is. And when he says that, it backs up. Everything else he promises to do. When Jesus says, "I and the Father are one," he's saying this: You can trust me when I make promises, and you can trust me that I will keep my promises. And especially during this uh, this season in our in our country's uh, country's history, right this political season, I mean, are we not are we not weary of leaders who make promises? and yet can't make good on those promises. And yet so often, right, what, we're, what we are, we're so hungry for whatever that person is promising that we don't, actually, we don't actually stop to ask the question, can this person make good on what they're promising? Can she actually do what she's going to say? Can he actually do what he promises? And with Jesus, the answer is always yes. Yes, he can. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, right, he's actually plumbing the depths of theology. And I think what we're prone to do is we're prone to ask the question, well, what in the world? What, first, we ask the question, rightly so, what does that even mean when Jesus says, I and the Father are one? And then second, we want to ask this question, what in the world does that have to do with me? I mean, just think about it. This morning, did you get up and ponder the nature of inter-Trinitarian relationships, right? How the Father relates to the Son and they relate to the Spirit? Probably not, right? You made your coffee. Someone probably, somebody maybe wet the bed. Uh, You had to get the kids ready. You had to get breakfast on the table. You had to get breakfast off the table. There was probably some yelling involved, Forgive me, there we go. <laughs> Forgive me if I'm putting my house on your actually, I'm not even there on Sunday mornings. that doesn't happen in my house. It's all smooth sailing because I'm not there. so but just in case that happens in your house, right? So we want to ask the question, what in the world? when Jesus says, "I and the Father are one, what is he saying? and why does it matter? Why does Jesus go so deep and what are we supposed to kind of fish out and plumb out of those depths and Here's the shot I'm going to take at it. That Jesus' oneness with the Father means that he can make good on all of his promises to all of his people. That what Jesus claims in this passage actually secures what Jesus promises in this passage. So let's just kind of dive in and take a look. We don't really, uh, we know this is the feast of dedication. Uh, what we commonly know now as Hanukkah. This is not a feast that was sanctioned by the Old Testament It came along much later. This is a few months after Jesus was already in Jerusalem. So he's back in Jerusalem. We're not sure if this goes with the first half of chapter 10, but it seems to since they're talking about um, the, he uses the shepherding metaphor again. And the Jews, uh, he's walking in Solomon's colonnade, this kind of covered porch area, and the Jews circle around him. And they ask him, they say, How long will you keep us in suspense? How long will you keep us from coming to a conclusion about who you are, about what you're doing? Tell us plainly, boldly, publicly, Stop playing games, Jesus. If you're Messiah, just go ahead. Just go ahead and declare it. And this is really the most important question you can ever ask. Right, the, the single most important question that any person that any that any human being can ever ask is who is Jesus really? Who is Jesus? That's what the Pharisees, that's what these religious leaders want to know. But they're they don't they don't really they're not really asking because they want to worship Jesus. Uh, we, we've read enough by now and we keep reading in the passage and we realize they're not, they're not in this to acknowledge Jesus. What they want Jesus to do, when they say tell us plainly, they don't mean tell us in plain speech. They mean uh, declare it publicly. So announce your candidacy. Tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you in the race or are you not in the race? Right? They want Jesus, really what they want Jesus to do is, is to out himself. They want him to... Uh, They want him to incriminate himself. And Jesus doesn't play that game. He looks at him and he says, I've already told you. I've already answered your question. He's already told them and shown them plenty. And here's what you have to realize. Here's what we've seen already about hard-hearted people. That even when the evidence is plain in front of you, you continue to look for more. Because you think, well, this surely can't be it. Give me something else. And so Jesus provides a little more. He says something else, right? Jesus has been making declarations and doing miracles for a long time. And yet the religious leaders keep seeing this. They keep looking at this and going, oh, Nope, i got to have more. i got to have more. Hard-hearted people are never satisfied with the evidence they always, that is clearly in front of them. They always want more because they cannot believe it. Jesus' words and works are already public. And they are already plain. What Jesus has said, things like, I am the good shepherd, uh, I have the authority to lay my life down and take it back up again. Before Moses was, I am. Those are all very clear indications that Jesus has made in public of who he is. What Jesus has done, healing a blind man, born at birth, healing a man who was born at birth blind, uh, healing a man who was. Paralyzed or disabled for 38 years, turning water into wine. All of those things clearly demonstrate that Jesus is from God. And so these things, these words and these works, they come together and they're like a huge LED sign pointing, declaring who Jesus is. Las Vegas couldn't be brighter and yet the Pharisees are blind. Their understanding is dark. And part of that is because their understanding of Messiah and his understanding of Messiah are two different things. When they say, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah, what they're thinking in their heads is, right, the the Messiah, his mission is a political one and a cultural one. The Messiah's job is to come in and rescue the Jewish people, get rid of the Romans, and make us great again. That's what the Messiah is supposed to do. That's his mission. And so if Jesus gives in to their request, if Jesus were to simply say, yeah, okay, that's it. Yeah, I'm the Messiah. You got it. He would actually be agreeing to something that is false. Because Jesus is... Mission: the Messiah's mission is not primarily political and is not primarily cultural, though it has implications for both. The Messiah's mission is redemptive. The Messiah's mission, right, is to lay down his life for his sheep so that they can have abundant life. And so it's kind of like that line in The Princess Bride where Aniga Montoya says... You keep saying that word, but I do not think it means what do you think it means, right? For all four of you who've watched that movie, that was meaningful, right? That's what Jesus could say to these people. You keep saying Messiah, but you don't know what that means. And so I cannot agree to what you're saying. I'm not that kind of Messiah. I'm, my mission is not as limited as you would have it be. My mission is so much greater My mission is to rescue lost sinners, not just of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. And they can't hear that. They can't believe because they are not his sheep. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says in verse 26, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. It's pretty clear. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. Now, they're asking the right question. And their hearts are hardened. Their hearts are darkened. And so they can't arrive at the right answer. But I want to stop right there and I want to say this. They're asking the right question. And if you haven't asked that question yet, if you haven't asked the who is Jesus question, then you need to. And that's what John wants you to do. You must come to grips with who Jesus is. You must make up your mind. That's the point of this gospel. You cannot, you cannot move on to some other finer points of religion. You must deal with the, the, the single most important question that any human being on the planet can ask, and it is, who is Jesus? Ask honestly. Take into account what He does and what He says. And if you've grown up in the church, if you've been here for a while, that I... I I urge that same thing on you. I challenge you. Don't pretend that you already have Jesus figured out and that it's time to move on to something else. Don't say, okay, Kevin, right, I get it, Jesus is important. Can you just give me ten easy tips on how to fix my marriage? Or can you uh, just give me four easy ways that my children will now obey me? Um, Can you tell me how to be a better employer or employee? I mean, the Bible informs all of those areas, and it says something to all of those things, but its single most important point is to reveal Jesus as the Savior of sinners and that when you find your life in Him, everything else is ordered. And so you must deal with Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Don't move on from Jesus. Ask the question. And then Jesus gives you the only answer that will save you. Right? These guys are asking, tell us plainly who you are. Are you the Messiah? And Jesus gives them a whole lot more than they bargained for. He says first, uh, first he goes back to the good shepherd metaphor that we looked at last week. He says, Uh, You don't believe because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so let's go back to last week, how he developed that shepherd imagery and how that revealed salvation to us, right? What Jesus shows us is that he walks into the sheepfold of humanity. He walks into the sheep pen, pen, and he calls his own. And And it's not just a general call. He doesn't just go into the sheep pen of humanity and say, hey, listen, guys, I've got some great pasture land over here, and I think it would be really good for you if you came with me. There's a lot of stuff over here that can nourish you, so why don't you come with me? Anybody? Anybody? No, Jesus doesn't do that. He goes into the sheepfold of humanity, and it says he calls his own by name. He says, Sharon, come on. Steve, come on. Matt, come on. Betty, come on. Let's go. And what do the sheep do? Do they hem and, they, and haul? Do they think, Man, I don't know, is this a good offer? Should we go with them? Should we not go with them? What are we going to No. No, the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, and they follow him out of the pen and they have life. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And then Jesus answers their question by, make, by showing us the promises that he makes to his sheep. Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Those who follow Jesus, the sheep who follow Jesus, they have life with no exceptions. They don't die. They're not lost. He won't lose any. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No wolf, no thief, no suicide bomber, no accident, no nothing. I will lose none. Not even the sheep can wriggle out of the shepherd's grip. No sheep will get lost. Or stray indefinitely. When Jesus saves, He saves completely. Those whom He calls, He also glorifies. We will make it home. What makes that possible? Jesus goes on. He talks about the Father. My Father who has given them to me. So the sheep. Jesus' sheep are given to him by his Father. So we could say they're really his Father's sheep. And my Father is greater than all. He is superior to all. No one is better than him. No one is stronger than him. What does that mean? No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you are gripped by a superior being... No one can loosen that grip. Do not make the mistake of thinking that your grip on God is stronger or better than God's grip on you. Those whom God has rescued will persevere because God will preserve them. There was a An older gentleman, I don't know that his age really has anything to do it, but I was having a conversation with this gentleman and he knew that I was a pastor. And so he asked me, he said, "Uh, Pastor, do you still love Jesus? And I said, yes, but I'm really glad that he still loves me. Friend, it is the Father's grip and Jesus' grip that matters. And who else could make that kind of promise? Who else could say that but God alone? Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And that's pretty important. Uh, the way that Jesus says it is important. Because the, the word that he uses, uh, when he says, I and the Father are one, is, uh, in, in Greek, you can speak in three ways. You can speak in a masculine way, a neuter way, or a feminine way, Right? And so, if Jesus had used a masculine word when he said, I and the Father are one, he would have basically been saying, I and the the Father are the same person. We're the same man. But it's interesting, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I and the Father are one. And he says, it's neuter, so it's not masculine or feminine. I and the Father are one thing, for lack of a better word. I and the Father are one essence. Kevin, what in the world does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Here's what it has to do. It is a defense of the Trinity against anyone who says that Jesus was not God or that Jesus was some lesser form of deity. So if you're in that camp, right, that, hey, Jesus is a great teacher, he's a good moral philosopher, maybe he is some kind of lesser deity, but he's not really God... Jesus trumps that right here when he says, I and the Father are essentially the same. We have the same essence. We are unified. There's a distinction. We're not the same person. There's the Father and there's the Son. But we are both God. And so if you want a defense of the Trinity, of the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, here you have it which is exactly what the Jews hear him saying, right? What is their response? When Jesus says, and if you think that Jesus could be meaning any other thing, if Jesus could be declaring any other thing than that he is God, look at how the Jews react. What do they do? They go to stone him. They know exactly what he's saying. So let's not pretend that somehow we know better that, uh, than, the, than the people who heard Jesus' voice originally. They knew exactly what he was claiming. He was claiming to be God. And they picked up stones to stone him because that, if he's a man, if he's a mere man, then that is blasphemy. And you notice that Jesus, when they charge him with that, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, Whoa, 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 guys, put down the stones. <laughs> I wasn't saying I was God. He doesn't disagree with their conclusion. He takes it a step further. And so that's exactly what Jesus, that's exactly who Jesus is claiming to be. And so, because Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he can make all of those beautiful promises about saving the sheep, calling the sheep, keeping the sheep. And here's what he goes on to say. Right here's what he goes on to show that Jesus' word and works together give unbreakable proof. That he is who he claims to be. Now, this next section is a little bit confusing. It's kind of strange, right? Verse 31, the Jews pick up stones again to stone him. And here's how Jesus stops them. This is how Jesus pauses their thinking for just a moment. He says, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And they say, it's not for your good works, that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. And then Jesus kind of throws this curveball. He says, is it not written in your law, oftentimes the law referred to the whole of the Old Testament, is it not written in your law, I said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? Woo. What What's going on? What is Jesus saying? Let's kind of see, see, see if we can walk it out. Jesus is using a form of argument called from the lesser to the greater. And what he's, what he's trying to say is, if it's true here on the small level then it is true much more here on the big level, okay? And so he starts on the small level, and he begins with this quote from Psalm 82.6. And what Psalm 82 is talking about, as far as we can tell, is it's talking about human judges, men who have received the word from God and are acting in the place of God to issue judgments. That's what a judge was. A judge and a king had a similar function. They were, in a sense, God's representative for a certain function, And so Jesus, and in Psalm 82, they are called, little g, gods. These men who are vehicles of the Word are called gods. They were vehicles of God's Word. Psalm 82 calls them gods. And so here's here's what Jesus is saying. If merely human vehicles of God's Word can be called gods, in the small g sense, then surely... The one whom God has set apart and sent into the world, the word in flesh deserves to be honored as God. So if we can call human judges who use the word, if we can call them gods, like the psalm does, that's what God calls them in the psalm, if that's true down here on this level, then surely the one who comes from heaven, the word in flesh, John 1, 1, surely... I can use that title for myself. And so, what he does with that, and, and he works in this, this really important principle, and it's almost, it's a parenthesis, but it's so important for us to, to hear and talk about for just a second. In verse 34, he says, And Scripture cannot be broken. Scripture cannot be broken. Right? What Jesus is doing is he is defending the authority and the inspired nature of the Bible, the whole Bible, which they would have agreed with. He's saying, Your Bible says this, and your Bible, this scripture that I've inspired cannot be broken. And so when someone asks when someone doubts a particular passage, or when we maybe want to apply this passage but not apply this passage. We need to remember Jesus' principle. Scripture cannot be broken. It cannot be undone. It is strong. It is God's authoritative word. So what is Jesus? why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus bring up this kind of obscure argument? And it's, to, it's actually to buy him some time. Because what he does next is issue them another invitation. Right? Look at what Jesus says in verse 37. So you can imagine, right, they... He, he makes this claim to deity. They grab the rocks and are starting to hurl them. And he says, think about this from the word real quick. And so they, it's given, it's, they, they, they probably set the rocks down. They're like, now wait, what? And it gives Jesus an opportunity to issue another invitation. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works. Look, if you're having, Jesus is saying, if you're having trouble grasping my true identity, just look at what I'm doing. If you're wrestling with what I'm saying, if you can't believe my words, then look at my deeds. What's wrong with your religion when you see a blind man receive his sight, but you cannot attribute that to the work of God? especially when your Bible in Isaiah says that blind will receive their sight when the Messiah comes. Gentlemen, pay attention. What's wrong? Look at my works so that you will come to know and continue to know. Look there in verse 38. Believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. That word, the, the, the words there for may know and understand, it's really the same word. It's just used in two different tenses, right? One is past tense, one is present tense. And so, what Jesus is saying is, look at my, listen to my words, and if you can't believe them, look at my works, so that you can come to know. And then continue to know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Deep theology with real world implications. Because if you can't grasp that, if you can't believe that, if you can't believe the unity of the Son with the Father, then you will not have the life that Jesus offers. How do they respond to the invitation? Again. They sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And so Jesus retreats. And a retreat uh, in a battle seems like a loss. But notice that Jesus retreats to a place where John the Baptist had been faithfully sowing the seed. Where John, and all that John's ministry did, was to point to Jesus. And so Jesus retreats. He retreats to a safe place, away from the people who want to arrest him. And he goes to a place where somebody where, where his name had already been spoken. And what he finds is that even though John did no signs, as soon as Jesus shows up, he proves John's words. People come to believe in Jesus. So Jesus comes to a place where a faithful servant has been speaking, and he is received. Jesus retreats, but the kingdom advances. And so what looks like a loss in one place is really a gain in another. And I would simply say this. Christian, do not underestimate uh, the humble work of a faithful servant. Do not underestimate the continued speaking of words about Jesus because you never know when Jesus will show up and will call his own sheep by name. Never underestimate your role in the kingdom. So Jesus retreats, yet the kingdom advances. So who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus the Messiah? Because if you want the promises, and if you want the comfort that this passage affords every one of Jesus' sheep, then I invite you to hear the shepherd's voice and follow. You will never perish. You will never be lost. You will never be let go. Hear the words, see the works, and believe on Jesus as the shepherd of your soul. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful. Thankful that you have not left us in our sins as we deserve, but that you have called us out. And we are thankful, Lord, that for those who hear the word and believe and follow, that eternity is ours, eternity with you, life in abundance, life that never stops, and that no enemy, no persecution, no nakedness, no danger, no sword, all the powers of hell cannot remove us from your grip. Father, I pray for those who do not know that certainty that you would grip them. And for those of us who enjoy that grip already, that we would truly and really enjoy it. That we would remember the privileges of the sheep in the goodness and the faithfulness of the shepherd. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.